You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Everybody, welcome into the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown, Horns247.com, joined by the managing editor of Horns247, Taylor Estes. And Taylor, we uh, we've got a lot to talk about in today's flagship podcast. We've got uh, our recap of spring football, first week of spring football, um, and of course the Big 12 uh, tournament champion, Texas Longhorns, uh, will be the number two seed in the Midwest region. Tricky draw for the Longhorns uh, that first weekend, but a lot of experts picking the Longhorns to reach the final four in Houston. Um, And so a lot of excitement around the program uh, on a day where Chris Beard accepts the head coaching job at Ole Miss. So um, we invite everyone in to join us here live on the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel uh, with your your questions, your comments uh, about uh, the first week of spring football for the Longhorns, the the NCAA tournament uh, brackets for both the, the men and the women, the women of four seed in something called the Seattle Four region where Stanford is the number one seed. Um, Vic Schaefer's team uh, losing to Iowa State in the Big 12 tournament final on Sunday. He said they just couldn't make shots. But um, Taylor, it's a it's a loaded show. Yeah, definitely. So be sure to if you have any questions about spring practice, about the NCAA tournament or whatever is on your mind, feel free to post um, uh, your question or just comments in the comment section on both YouTube or the Horns 24-7 Facebook channel. But Chip, you were at the NCAA, or excuse me, you were at the Big 12 uh, tournament in Kansas City um, later in the week last week. You were able to kind of witness this. And on, um, I think it was yesterday, was it, that you wrote a story about Rodney Terry and his possibility of maybe being named the head coach of Texas basketball um, you know, I think that's a good place to start. Cause I think with Chris Beard, especially accepting the job at Ole Miss um, this week, I think, you know, what's going to happen for Texas men's basketball in the head coach position that's going to be open this year. What, what is the latest that you can share with the audience? Yeah. So after Texas wins the big 12 tournament by blowing out Kansas by 20 second straight blowout of Kansas uh, in eight days, um, I talked to sources and, you know, I said um, Rodney Terry as uh, his consideration growing uh, to become the permanent head coach at Texas. And the answer was a resounding yes, uh, but no, no final decision has been made. The quote was one step at a time. So uh, Chris Del Conte has been um, pretty steadfast as well as 
uh, higher ups at UT that a final decision will come after the season, meaning after the NCAA tournament. Uh, but Rodney Terry certainly helped his case uh, with his team's performance uh, in the Big 12 tournament because you, you know, they had to beat Oklahoma State, who's one of the best defensive teams in the country. And then they had to, you know, beat TCU, a team I think is a really dangerous team in the NCAA tournament because of their length, because they have different ways to score. Uh, and then Texas takes down Kansas uh, in the in the championship in Kansas City. I mean, Taylor, if I tell you that the the T-Mobile the Center was 90% Kansas fans and a, a sprinkling of burnt orange, uh, that's that's exactly what it was. And uh, for Dylan DeZue to, to play the way he did those three games, averaging 18 points, six rebounds, um, he shot 70%. He got in foul trouble in the championship game, had to sit, only played six minutes in the in the first half, got uh, picked up his third foul with 15 minutes left, had to sit. It didn't matter. Whenever he came back into games, he picked up right where he left off, was just uh, magnificent. And I think that's why so many experts are picking Texas to reach the final four, because that was the big question mark about Texas. Where, where are they at the five position? Where are they at center? What can they count on? Uh, because you've sort of had Dylan DeZue and Christian Bishop rotating through that uh, position, but Dylan DeZue was a man in that, uh, in that big 12 tournament. And if he continues this run, then uh, watch out. Because it was funny, after the, the win over Oklahoma State, he came to the press conference. We don't get to talk to you know, players unless they get brought to postgame press conferences. So I asked him, have you made any decision about whether you'll come back for your COVID-19 season? And he's like, no, I'm just trying to focus on, you know, the here and now. And, and then he just, it was almost like he took offense to my question. Um, yeah. And just started lighting it up because uh, he was the most outstanding player in the tournament. And uh, Marcus Carr and Serge Jabari Rice also named to the um, Big 12 tournament team. But uh, just a fantastic week for the for the Longhorns. And what a scene. I mean, you know, cutting down the nets, the players chanting RT, RT, uh, Rodney Terry telling me yesterday that look, it's not about me right now, you know, but I do think, you know, my coaching has spoken for itself and, and that it is his intention to continue his journey as a head coach, meaning if he doesn't get the head coaching job at Texas, he'd like to be a head coach somewhere. So, um, you know, lots, uh, lots of excitement heading into this NCAA tournament uh, with the way the Longhorns are playing. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, he he doesn't even have to really um, do much of an interview process, regardless of where he would be a head coach, because just turn on the tape right now. I mean, it's not that Texas, you know, just beat Kansas to win the Big 12 tournament in basically what was pretty much a home game for Kansas. They dominated. I mean, 20 point win in the Big 12 tournament. Um, you know, championship game, back to back dominating performances against Kansas and. You know, I think we kind of talked, hit on this um, a few weeks ago, regardless of who he's coaching for, Rodney Terry for certainly is going to be a head coach 
in college basketball next season. Um, and, you know, I feel like I, I'm curious for your take on this. If if the experts are right and Texas were to make it to the final four, they have to hire him as yeah. a head coach, right? I mean, they've only made it to the final four, what, once in, in program history? I mean, I feel like it, that would be just such a massive slap in the face if uh, only the second time in program history you make it to the final four and you don't, you know, you have an interim coach and you don't name him head coach. That would be ludicrous, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think a, a trip to the final four absolutely secures the job for Rodney Terry. And the question is anything short of that, you know, does, does he have to make it to the sweet 16? Does he need to make it to the elite eight? Texas is a number two seed by seeding. They should reach the elite eight, but we know how, how difficult this tournament can be. And I see a question uh, here from uh, CTE 11, um, you know, thoughts on the seeding and the potential second uh, round game matchup with AM. How about the first round matchup with Colgate? Colgate uh, leads the nation, leads all of college basketball in three point shooting percentage at 40.8. So that's a team that's going to spread you out, and you better be on point defensively because if those threes start falling um, for Colgate, then, you know, that's, that's your worst case scenario. Now, Texas is, is way more athletic. They're a much better defensive team, but when you've got, you know, four players for Colgate who can, who can hit the three, that's a, a good test for, for a first round game. And then, um, as CTE 11 points out, if Texas gets by Colgate, they would face the winner of Texas A&M and Penn State. And you can argue both of those teams were underseeded. I mean, A&M finished second in the regular season and in the in the SEC tournament in the SEC, which, you know, has the number one overall seed, Alabama. Um, and, and A&M, you know, has beaten Alabama. Penn State is a team that can spread you out and has one. They, they shoot the three like crazy. All five of their starters shoot the three and they have one of the most difficult matchups in the tournament in Jalen Pickett, who averages, you know, 17 points a game, almost seven rebounds a game, six assists a game. He's a six, four guard who just does it all. Um, and again, Penn state, a team that makes 10 threes a game, they attempt 27 threes a game. If, if the threes are falling for Penn State like they were in the Big Ten tournament, Penn State just got to the final of, of mm -hmm. the Big Ten tournament. I mean, it's like, wow. I, I look at some of those other 7-10 matchups, and Texas definitely got um, probably the most difficult of, of if, you know, if Texas gets through its first-round game. Um, not, not anything that Texas can't handle, but A&M is a, is a lot like TCU. TCU beat Texas during the regular season and Penn state's a lot like Baylor and Baylor beat um, Texas uh, during the regular season. So, you know, Texas is going to have to be on point just like they were at the big 12 tournament. They're going to have to continue that level of intensity, that level of commitment to their, to their defensive principles. And um, it all starts Thursday, 625 in Des Moines where uh, Texas will, will open NCAA tournament play. Um, and it'll be, it'll be fun to watch because Texas is certainly capable 
with all their veteran experience of, of going deep in this tournament. Yeah, I see this question here from Ben G from the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel. What are the names you are hearing with potential candidates to replace Terry if we part ways with him? Have you heard any names, Chip? Yeah, I mean, you know, I know the names that were of interest when Chris Beard was hired. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was Eric Musselman, uh, who's now at Arkansas. It was Nate Oates, who's now at Alabama. Um you know, Tony Bennett at Virginia. And so, you know, I doubt that, that the names have changed that much. Um, and yeah, so I mean, we're two years removed from when Chris Beard, less than two years removed from right. when he was hired. Right. So, you know, Texas tends to go for the home run hire, the made man, someone who's, who's proven they can get to a championship like Chris Beard got to the national championship game. Um, you know, Eric, Eric Musselman, uh, Nate Oates are, are guys who um, have shown they can go deep in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Tony Bennett beat Chris Beard for the national championship uh, when Virginia beat Texas Tech in 2019. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting because Texas has undoubtedly done its vetting, uh, you know, back channel uh, look at some of these coaches and they're going to be watching Rodney Terry. They're going to be watching those coaches uh, in the NCAA tournament, uh, whether it's those names I mentioned or another name. And, and so that's why, you know, the quote one step at a time, we'll see how the NCAA tournament plays out. How about Shaka Smart and Marquette as a number two seed in this tournament? And, um, you know, Rick Barnes, a four seed at Tennessee. So <laughs> Uh, all kinds of Texas connections, Texas exes uh, in this NCAA tournament, um, which is always just so much fun, especially the first weekend. Yeah. I mean, this is like the I, I've never hidden the fact that I'm not the biggest basketball fan, but this is the basketball that I really enjoy. You know, it's just so fun. Even I think the you know, basic fans can get into it. There is a question from Raymond Smith from the Horns 24-7 uh, Facebook page. Timmy Allen availability. Um, you know, as we know, he he sat out of the NC or excuse me, I keep saying that the Big 12 tournament. Um, what's the latest on him, Chip? Yeah, so he had a calf uh strain and they've been really careful with it. Um, he said if it was an NCAA tournament game, he said after uh the first round of the Big 12 tournament, he would he would play. So I think Timmy Allen is is gonna be ready to go. Um, they've been, you know, treating that injury uh, aggressively so that he would be ready and to, to sit him all through the big 12 tournament, um, was, you know, was difficult for Timmy Allen, but it was, it, it was the right thing to do to have him ready, uh, for the NCAA tournament. And, and he's a guy who's a Swiss army knife who gives you all kinds of, um, you know, he gives you the little plays, the, and, and he's one of their best one-on-one, -on -one, um, you know, operators offensively. They like to get him on the, on, you know, the wing down low and let him work one-on-one. -on -one. He's got, he's got a nice uh, move to the basket, a counter move and, um, and they're going to need him. Um, it, what, what was amazing Taylor about that win over Kansas in the championship game at the big 12 tournament was how much every player 
contributed. I mean, even Arterio Morris coming in off the bench for Tyrese Hunter, they combined to defend Dewan Harris. Um, Kansas is 21 and 0, or they were. They were 21 and 0 when Dewan Harris scores six points. So Tyrese Hunter face guarded Dewan Harris when he got a breather. Arterio Morris came in and defended Dewan Harris, and they held him to one of five shooting two points until Texas had an 18 point lead with two minutes and 45 seconds left. Then Harris hit a couple of layups. And so they're now 21 and one when Dewan Harris scores six points because of the job that, that Hunter and Harris did or Hunter and Morris did and Arterio Morris, you know, had steals for breakaway layups and or dunks and had the best alley-oop dunk from uh, Serge Jabari Rice in the tournament. And he's playing with a ton of confidence right now. So you're, all your players just finished on a high note, just got a taste of, you know, success. Their confidence tanks are full. I, I, I don't see any reason why that would change before Thursday, but um, yeah, Timmy Allen, he should be back. Yeah. And well, and especially with how veteran this team is, I mean, it's, it's a rarity. I feel like, especially in college basketball where, you have very few freshmen that are in a position where they have to contribute, you know, um, substantially. Texas is a really old veteran team. I mean, they've got seniors, grad, you know, uh, graduate players, you, you know, you name it all yeah, across five, the roster. Fifth, five fifth-year seniors. Yeah. I mean, that's wild. You just don't come across that really in basketball with, um, you know, even with Texas in the past, I feel like that's been a very rare situation where Texas has ever – been in to be honest and yeah, so this is going to be interesting to see and with the transfer portal we are seeing it more like penn mm-hmm. state penn state starts four grad students so four fifth year seniors and a fourth year senior mm-hmm. i mean that's why that penn state team is just you know when they're hitting threes um you know they're they're dangerous they're scary and and so, you know, one of the best matchups of the first round is going to be that Texas A&M Penn State uh, matchup because uh, A&M, you know, they lead the nation in free throw attempts. They do a great job of attacking the basket, getting fouled, going to the free throw line, making free throws. They shoot 76% from the foul line and an attempt 27 free throws per game. That's that's a ton. And so they have a very clear identity. They're going to be going downhill toward the basket. Penn State's going to spread you out and try to hit, you know, find that open three. And um, so it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a difficult challenge. And of course, Texas is in the same region with Houston, which got strong consideration for the number one overall seed, but ends up as the number two, uh, number one seed. And, they would go to Kansas city to play in the, in the sweet 16 in elite eight uh, to get to Houston for the final four. And, you know, Calvin Sampson and the Houston Cougars are trying to get home uh, to play for it all as a, as a number one seed. So Texas has a, has a tough path um, to, you know, throughout this tournament, but it's going to be fun to watch because they're playing at a high level right now. 
Yeah, and uh, James E. McGee Sr. from the Horse 24-7 Facebook channel said, will a first-round win only be enough for Rodney Terry to get the head coaching job? I mean, that's – we don't know because Mm -hmm. if if there are other candidates in the tournament and and they, um, you know, show that their expertise or their – you know, whatever Texas is looking for in its next head coach, if if they show more of that in the postseason after uh, the Shaka Smart experience, which was up and down and all over the place and never resulted in a single NCAA tournament win, um, then you know the the powers that be could could decide to um, you know try and bring in someone who's had more success in the NCAA tournament than Rodney Terry, but. Uh, there's no doubt that this team is playing hard for him. They're doing exactly um, what Rodney Terry has asked of them and this coaching staff. I think it's not just Rodney Terry. They have former head coaches on that staff with Chris Ogden um, and Bob Donawalt uh, that is, you know, they, they're working well together and they're doing a great job of scouting opponents. They're coming up with great game plans. Players are executing. And so, you, if you're Texas, you almost want to make sure if you're hiring Rodney Terry, that that whole staff stays together because yeah. it's, it's a, it's a rock solid staff with a ton of head coaching experience. Yeah. And I like this comment here from Tempest, a Duro, pardon me if I butcher that, but Arterio Morris and Dylan Mitchell developing and playing well now at the end of the year is a great sign for coach Terry. And I, I think that's true because, you know, if you look at it from a surface level, people could look at the roster and say, oh, well, he he took over a veteran roster where he already had built relationships like this is Chris Beard's team. But when guys are continuing to develop later on in the season, that's not Chris Beard. That's definitely on Rodney Terry and this coaching staff that's currently in place, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think that's accurate. And, you know, I see, <clears throat> you know, some folks saying, you know, Benji saying, Terry should have been playing Morris more weeks ago. And I agree with that, but you also have to stick with the guys who've gotten you there. And mm-hmm. Marcus Carr was going through a bit of a slump. It was really weird. Tyrese Hunter had struggled a lot of the year. He had injuries. He told me in Kansas city that uh, he had a wrist injury. He's, you know, he had the cramping earlier in the year. Then he had a wrist injury. Now he's healthy and he's playing at a really high level. Um, as his game improved, Marcus Carr's dropped. Well, Carr about halfway through the Kansas game found it, you know, yeah. I mean, he just, he started, it was a driving layup and, and he got fouled. He missed the free throw. But from that point on, he made five straight shots. He was hitting threes. He was hitting the fadeaways. He was in everything. And he played great, made the all tournament team. And if you, if you give up on Marcus Carr, uh, who's first team all big 12 and play Arterio Morris more, you know, you risk losing Marcus Carr. So you, you just tell Arterio Morris, I need you to be ready. I need you to be ready. And the the great thing is his defense has improved light years. I mean, he was not a defender at the beginning of the year. In fact, Dylan Mitchell could learn a few things from Arterio Morris. Dylan Mitchell's a, a really good, you know, glass eater and a, a guy who can score around the bucket, but uh, needs to be a more physical defender against, 
you know, bigger players needs to watch some film of PJ Tucker, the former Longhorn, or who used to defend way bigger guys at six foot five because he was just so determined. Um, and so, you know, that's, but you're right. The improvement of Arterio Morris has happened all season long and that that credit deserves to go to Ronnie Terry and his coaching staff. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, all right. Do you want to touch on some football? You want to stick with some basketball? What are you thinking here? Well, I, I think we can, uh, we can touch on some football here and then let's, uh, you know, we can always bounce back to questions uh, about basketball. Yeah. We're going to take a really quick break, but stay tuned. We have more coming up. We'll be right back. Taylor, I think one of the, one of the newsier nuggets from, you know, toward the end of the week, um, you heard Steve Sarkeesian talk about uh, Malik Murphy, the, you know, the backup quarterback who uh, was standing and watching a lot of the first week of spring practice, but um, it's, it sounds like he's on the mend. Yeah. So uh, we, Texas has had three practices of spring football so far. They're off this week for spring break. Um, However, in the first three practices, you know, the media was allowed to be out there for various portions of it. And Malik Murphy was fully dressed up, but was not, going through any of the drills or anything, Steve Sarkeesian, you know, kind of lumped him in to the injured player list following Monday's practice, the first practice of spring ball. Um, Didn't really give much insight as to what has happened with him. But on Friday after the practice before Texas started spring break, he did say that Blake Murphy um, had a little bit of a setback with his injury that he has been, you know, coming on the men from um, his high school his senior year of high school um, in the final game before he was an early enrollee last year. Um, Malik Murphy, you know, it's not anything substantial. It doesn't sound like Steve Sarkeesian said during spring break. So this week, Malik Murphy is actually sticking around in Austin to do some extra rehab on his ankle um, to get back to hopefully be ready to go through practice when Texas returns following spring break. So that's big news because I think, you know, if you've listened to the flagship podcast this offseason, Chip and I have talked a lot about, you know, everybody wants to hear about the Arch Manning, Quinn Ewers quarterback battle, quote unquote. Really, Malik Murphy is the second string quarterback behind Quinn Ewers right now. Steve Sarkeesian all but said that, you know, he would be getting second team reps essentially now if he was not injured in the first week of practice. So Malik Murphy, you know, developing is humongous for Texas because as most teams know, you, you know, you're one injury away, right? Quarterbacks suffer injuries all the time and backups have to come in. Um, you know, and so Malik Murphy being in the system for a full year, yes, he did not play, you know, uh, for in any of the games last season, but he has been, you know, in the meeting room, been in the film room, has learned the offense, the playbook during his uh, true freshman season. I think him coming back will be huge, honestly, Chip, for, um, the quarterback position and also, you know, could probably take a little bit of the pressure off of all of this Arch Manning talk, too, because, I mean, this is a true freshman that came in, was intending to redshirt this year, you know, and so I know the headlines are all about Quinn versus Arch. It really should be about Quinn versus Malik and where Malik has, is at in his development process right now. Yeah, yeah. And it's been it's been a tough road for Malik Murphy so far with the 
Um, you know, he had to recover from the broken ankle in the state championship game in December, right before he enrolled at Texas last year in January as an early enrollee. Then he has the scooter accident, uh, injures his wrist. Um, you know, I'm told that this uh, latest injury uh, is uh, an injury that he he suffered, um, you know, somewhat recently and then was a re-aggravation of it. And, you know, we're not getting any details about it uh, from Steve Sarkeesian, but, you know, he's a big guy. I mean, he's a big, oh, strong yeah. guy. And for him to be, you know, battling these injuries, he just needs to get healthy and, and build that confidence um, because it, it's tough. You, you want to, you want to grow at your position and when you're getting in and then you're stopping and then you're getting in and then you're stopping um, it's, it's tough. And, he is a specimen. So everybody wants to see what this guy can do. He's a pocket passer. I see some, you know, VY junior uh, <laughs> comments. He is not VY junior. You're not going to see him running zone read and, uh, and just, and now he could take off and run. Um, he's certainly capable of that, but his first, his first, uh, you know, inclination and in this offense and in Steve Sarkeesian's plan for him is to be that, that, pocket quarterback who can zip it all over the place with that cannon arm. So um, it, it, it is going to be fun to watch him develop. And I've said, this is a guy who needs to be uh, a longhorn for four years. I mean, mm -hmm. they need him to grow into something, you know, a, a top end player who can win games in the sec um, because it's, it's hard enough to keep two talented quarterbacks on a roster at once but the championship teams have been able to do it. And we certainly saw that last year in the big 12 with, you know, with, um, you know, um, Will Howard at Kansas state with Max Duggan at TCU. You've got to have two uh, Hudson Carr last year. Yeah. I would say Texas went through it. Yeah. yeah. Beating West Virginia probably played his best game as a longhorn in his last game as a longhorn. So, um, you know, that's, that's what we need uh, to see for, for Texas because, um, you know, they have had some recent examples of needing two. I mean, Sam Ellinger and Shane Bouchelle. Shane Bouchelle came in and won big games against Baylor and Iowa State when Ellinger was hurt. You've got to have two. And obviously everyone's like, well, Chip, they have Arch Manning. You don't want to have to play the first-year guy. Um, we saw that last year. It's tough. And Steve Sarkeesian has said, I don't like playing first year guys. Well, Malik, even though he, you know, didn't play, he is a second year guy. He's, he's been in this offense. He knows what he's looking for. And that's, uh, it's his time now to, to be the backup this year and grow in that position. Yeah. And the thing too, with him is his, his ceiling is really high. And, and as Chip said, I mean, this guy is a specimen, like we were in the um, interview room waiting for Steve Sarkeesian to come uh, for his interview after Friday's practice. And some of the players walked through the room to go to the, uh, the locker room. And Malik Murphy is like maybe six inches away from having to duck to walk into the door, like into doors. <laughs> Literally. I mean, this guy is all of six foot six that they shows that he is, I mean, he's a big kid, but 
from a development standpoint, even in, in high school, you know, he had the really, really high ceiling, had a really talented arm, powerful arm, but he was raw, you know, he, and he then with COVID in 2020 with high school football in California, not playing that set him back a little bit more. So this is a guy that, you know, the times now for him, I feel like chip and from everything that we've heard, you know, he's fully bought in at this point, doesn't appear to be any type of transfer portal threat um, that we know of or that we've heard of. And usually we do hear those type of things, um, especially if a guy is not really getting um, much attention or, you know, reps and practice or anything like that. It doesn't seem like he's that. He loves Texas. He's a he's a voice in the locker room. Steve Sarkeesian's even talked about him being, you know, a guy that um, players listen to, you know, in the locker room. And that's special for him to be you know, going into a redshirt freshman season and already kind of having a voice in a say in the locker room. So it, the sooner that he gets back into the mix, the better Texas for, um, you know, both from a leadership standpoint, but just also on offense too, because he's got to also push Quinn Ewers, you know, and I think that he has the ceiling and the upside to really do so. Yeah. And that personality part of it is really interesting because he's been called the mayor of the Texas locker room We're talking about Malik Murphy, just a huge personality in that way. He might be a little bit like Vince young. Uh, he does not lack confidence and mm -hmm. uh, presence and, and he's big enough, tall enough at six, six to stare those offensive linemen eyeball to eyeball um, and, and have, you know, some, some good banter. So uh, it's, it's going to be fun to watch this guy develop. I really, um, I hope, I hope he does uh, develop. And as I've said, he's not going to be a guy who like Jaquindon Jackson is going to transfer and go play running back somewhere else. This guy's a quarterback and, and he really needs to develop at Texas, get on the field, show what he can do. Um, he loves Austin. I talked to his um, quarterbacks coach from California uh, recently. There's no hint of, you know, disenchantment or anything from Malik Murphy. He loves Texas and, and now he just needs to, you know, stay healthy and, and grow as a football player. And stay off of scooters guys. Come on. Yeah, You're too valuable. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> we have some this... questions here, Chip, about the running back room. Um, Want to touch on some of those? Yeah. Um, you know, let's see. Uh, Cisco Diaz, how's the running back position looking? Who seems to have the edge at being the starter? You know, right now it's tricky because you got Jonathan Brooks out recovering from hernia surgery and all the running backs have looked good. I mean, um, Jaden Blue, uh, CJ Baxter, the, the true freshman, the top running back in the 2023 recruiting class. And, and even, you know, of course, Keelan Robinson, we know we've seen Keelan Robinson. He's uh, and he was singled out as a an emerging leader by Steve Sarkeesian, uh, the tr the Alabama transfer who's been in Sark's offense for a while now. Um, but even Savion Red, I mean, this is a guy who's very intriguing. I don't know how quickly he can get comfortable at the running back position in all facets, meaning blitz pickup, um, all that, all the protections and everything that he needs to learn. Uh, he is certainly lethal catching the football out of the backfield. He has got wiggle, but he's also over 200 pounds and he's built like a running back. We said that last year when he, when he yeah. came in, he's built a little bit like Quan Cosby's thick. He's um, but 
you know, this is a kid who loves football and I have a feeling he's going to be uh, on a fast track and, and, and a, has that kind of Debo Samuel type of ability um, as a receiver slash, you know, what they call a wide back, um, you know, receiver slash running back. And we know Steve Sarkeesian loves, you know, players with versatility and how he can hide them, um, you know, try to confuse the defense. Are, are they a running back? Are they a receiver? Uh, trying to get matchups against, uh, you know, individual defenders. And so I, I'm really intrigued to watch Savion Red develop because, um, you know, he's a much bigger guy than Keelan Robinson. Robinson is a, is a slight guy. Uh, Savion Red's over 200 pounds and it's, it's natural. I mean, he's, he, he carries it really well. So um, it, you know, I don't know that you could say there's a, a favorite right now. I think that's going to end up being decided in fall camp once Jonathan Brooks is, is fully healthy. Um, but I'll say this, CJ Baxter, everything I'm hearing is everything they've put on him. He's handled and, and he's hungry for more. He's, he's a sponge. He's learning. And so don't, don't be surprised because that, that kid, you know, he's six, one, two twenty. Um, he's, he's, he's special and he can catch the football. So I think Texas is going to be really talented at running back. We'll see how quickly they can handle, you know, top, top of the line defenses. No, no greater example than Alabama in week two. So that, uh, but there's a lot of talent there that that's pushing each other. Yeah, it is. And one thing Steve Sarkeesian, you know, he has pointed to the fact that he has always had a 1000 yard rusher um, ever since he's been calling plays at the college level. And on Friday, he kind of touched on, you know, was asked about Jaden blue and just the overall look of the running back room. And he had said, he's like, you know, hopefully the, the hope would be that one guy in that group um, emerges to be the kind of lead back. Um, but he said he would also be okay if it's kind of a running back by committee type of, uh, running game that Texas has to put on the field, but he he seems sold for sure on all of these guys. And he, the addition of Savion Red, as Chip said, I mean, this kid, I, I remember in fall camp last year, Chip kept saying over and over again, like, like 17, that looks like a linebacker. It looks like a linebacker. It's like, no, he's a receiver, but you know, he he does. He's a he's a thicker body, maybe kind of a similar body to like a Malcolm Brown, maybe would be a good comparison. I think Malcolm Brown may have been a little bit bigger than him. But um, yeah, I mean, this, this room's really talented. And it's really, really hard, I think, to re replace entirely the production that Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson brought to the offense over the last, you know, two years, mainly, especially. Um, but I, you know, as as big of a losses as those two were, I still think that Texas running game is in a good place. And having to shard choice in that room. I mean, um, if you if you read the insider a few weeks back when Chip had talked to, you know, um Cedric Baxter's high school coach, we had him on the flagship podcast too. But to shard choice was huge and very, very instrumental in getting uh, CJ Baxter to commit to Texas, stick with Texas, getting a kid out of Florida to go to Texas is not always the easiest task, honestly, um, when you have, you know, Florida and Florida State in the backyard there. But um, you know, Tashard Choice really is kind of becoming a, a superstar assistant coach, I think, for Texas, both in developing players and also in recruiting Chip. Yeah. And I, I reported that he turned down 
uh, the LA Rams running back uh, coaching position to stay at Texas. He's going to get a nice raise out of that. Um, but, you know, he's already got Texas in position with the number one running back in the 2024 recruiting class. So yeah, Tashar Choice has been a, a beast and is a really valuable member of this staff. And I think he's, he's excited about what this Texas team can do and, and wanted to help see it through with, with some of these young, you know, talented backs that he's been bringing to campus, helping to bring to campus. So uh, that, that's a position that has uh, a ton of upside and I can't wait to see how that uh, battle plays out once, once Jonathan Brooks is back and healthy in, in fall camp, but there's a lot of developing going on right now that is only going to contribute to that battle uh, once we get to fall camp. Yeah, for sure. And you know, when Stan Drayton took over as the head coach at Temple, right? He went to Temple. Yep. Yeah. I, I, that was a guy that was like, oh man, how are you going to replace Stan Drayton? He's been so good at Texas. Well, Steve Sarkeesian did a fantastic job of replacing him. And I, I think that had you asked us when Stan Drayton left, if there was going to be somebody that could come in and continue to replicate the production um, from the running back room and, and in recruiting, I, I think I probably would have said, no, you can't, you can't find another, a strain, you know, a Stan Drayton 2.0. But I think Steve Sarkeesian has found that and to shard choice. And it's really good that um, he's keeping him on staff. Uh, you know, with the the NFL offer too. There's a question here, CTE11 saying any names surprising early in camp. One thing I will say, he didn't say anything by name specifically, but Steve Sarkeesian was asked, you know, what he feels best about, you know, maybe some concerns he may have after the first week of spring practice. And he all but said it's a little bit too early um, to really start pointing people out as who's like surprising, but he did point to both lines of scrimmage being something that he feels very, very good about both with the offensive line and the defensive line. And then talking about the defensive line, he said it, it's a little surprising because you lose guys like Moro Ojimo and Keandre Coburn, who had been, you know, a lot like, you know, tons of contributing to like the, the defense, you know, I mean, they were both four or five year guys, um, but he still feels really good about the defensive line at this point in fall camp. And I think that's huge chip. Like you've got to develop O line and D line, you win games, you lose games in the trenches. And the fact that Texas returns all of the offensive line from last year, plus, you know, has a defensive line with a ton of talent um, that, that in itself is, I think a really key development and probably one of the biggest stories to come out of the first week of spring practice. Yeah, and Baron Sorrell is is the guy they need to take the next step as as a pass rusher. Um, Steve Sarkeesian mentioned him as a leader, and that's big because Sorrell has the the length. He's got the frame. Um, I think he has the want to. He's just got to believe that he can um, mess with guys. You know that he can line up and and beat guys. Um, he's got to pick the right moves. He's got, uh, that kind of ability. And, and so that's, that's a player you're definitely watching. Um, and then, you know, on the other, uh, end, uh, that the Jack position where Ovia Gofu has moved on, um, you know, you've got a, 
you got a runway full of players trying to get in on that uh, position. And, and I've mentioned Jet Bush as a guy who's, who's hungry and a veteran and, and, you know, probably has earned the coach's trust a little bit more than some of those young up and comers um, like, you know, Justice Finkley, Jamon Tapp, uh, Jare Bledsoe, all those guys who are making that uh, push. Um, and, and so, you know, it's early, it's, it's spring ball. This is the time last year where the coaches were ripping into Jatavian Sanders. Remember, um, mm-hmm. you know, Jeff Banks just took him to the woodshed and said, you've got to, you got to be way further than this. You got to be better than this. And Jatavian Sanders said, man, he, he really got into me. And from that point forward, you know, the, the, the bar graph started going straight up. So, um, you know, they're, they're getting a good look at, uh, at these guys, but you're right, Taylor. I mean, Alfred Collins, Vernon Broughton, um, we know Tavondre Sweat, we know uh, Byron Murphy, um, and Vernon Broughton honestly came on a little bit last year, more so than Alfred Collins, but Collins is another guy. Just believe that you're the best player on the field and go, you know, don't, don't think, stop thinking so much. I mean, get your work in, get all of your technique work in so that by the time you line up on Saturdays, you're just ready to rip. And, you know, that's a, the guy who overthinks, but that light can come on. We saw it for, for more Ojimo. We saw for Keandre Coburn, Coburn, you know, his first few years at Texas looked like he was just trying to, you know, clog up traffic last year. He's pushing guys backwards and really disruptive. And that's, that's the next step for these, you know, these guys that we just mentioned. And and it sounds like it's, it's coming and um, that that's going to be a big position of strength for Texas. And that's, that's what the old school Texas teams had was a dominant defensive line uh, that could make you one dimensional um, rush, you know, stop the run on the way to the passer. And that's the kind of stuff that, that they're looking for in 2023. Yeah, for sure. And Justice Finkley um, and Jamon Tapp were actually some guys too, that Steve Sarkeesian mentioned by name of who could, you know, play the other, the Jack type of role um, at the front of the defense there. Um, He also talked about, you know, they're not really pigeonholing guys into just playing one or the other. They're trying to just see, you know, who can step up and play anywhere on the defensive line. But those were um, two guys he said have taken a step forward this, you know, going into the 2023 year. Um, Also, um, Ethan Burke, was also one he said that he looks like a different guy. They've got really high expectations for Colton Vasek, the early enrollee true freshman um, who came out of the Westlake, you know, a local kid here. So um, Jure Bledsoe also, he was number, another one that said that he is flex force um, for the defensive line. So this is a really, you know, big um, development, I would say, and probably a little bit of a surprise one when you do lose the production that Texas lost in Mora Ojimo and Keandre Coburn, who were, you know, very veteran players and leaders on that team. Yeah. And on the other side of the line, we've got a, um, a comment here from uh, DJ Dog 31. Want to see DJ Campbell take that starting guard position and run with it. And by all accounts, that's happening. So DJ Campbell is is working at right guard where Cole Hudson started every game uh, last fall. Cole Hudson out with the shoulder surgery. 
for the spring. He'll be back for fall camp, but they need depth at that position. They need to have, you know, they need to be too deep uh, at every position. And DJ Campbell, we know uh, his upside is tremendous and his, you know, he's just, you walk, you watch him walk by you and he has just got oak trees for legs. You know, he's got that base that you love. It's just hard to move. And, and he's another guy who just needs to let it go, you know, just make sure your technique work is in and then go um, and not think, because if you think you're, you know, you're going to get caught and the defense is going to trick you and uh, you're going to second guess yourself and it's, it's not going to go well. And, and that's, that's why you look at a guy like Kelvin Banks and Cole Hudson and, you know, some of these young guys who played last year and you're just like, man, that's special. Yeah. And, and they got more on the way. I mean, like you said, I mean, Connor Stroh and some of these massive freshmen who are, you know, probably not going to be counted on here in 2023 They're And that's in, in, you know, the good old days as offensive linemen, you came in, you red shirted so that you could mm-hmm. get in the weight program, get your body right, get all the technique down and, and then grow together. Um, because Texas has brought in talented classes in numbers. And when you can bring in four guys or five guys who are going to grow together through their college experience, develop that bond, that that's when, you know, the magic happens on the offensive line. So um, I think right now the progress report for DJ Campbell is, is really positive. Yeah. And you want that you want to, as you said, like you want to be able to try to redshirt offensive linemen if you could. I mean, Kyle Flood said he had never been in a position in his career where he had to rely on two true freshman offensive linemen and or like I think he even said or one true freshman like being kind of in a position where you have to. He said that at the Alamo Bowl. And so and that's not just coincidental. I mean, that's usually what you want. But yeah, there's some big guys here. I'm looking at the roster here. You know, the early enrollee freshman offensive linemen that Texas signed in the 2023 class are all on campus. I believe every single one of them is right that they sign all alignments, which is a good um, thing. Yeah. Well, no, there was see. one offensive lineman who didn't. Okay. So four of what, so four five. Of the five yeah. Yeah. But there's, you know, heights and weights here. Peyton Kirkland, six foot six, 367 pounds. Jaden Chapman, six foot four, 299 pounds. Andre Kojo, six, six, 358. Connor Stroh, six, seven, 365. I mean, those are some, when Steve Sarkeesian talks about big humans, those are some big humans that Texas has. And, and, you know, the more that they are in the, the college strength program, the better and the bigger probably, and maybe lean muscle, maybe, you know, they could not gain a ton of weight, but <laughs> this is, these are the guys that they talk about when they want to, you know, add big humans. And then you look even on the defensive line, Sadir Mitchell. I mean, that guy is massive. I mean, he's six foot six. They have him listed, I think at 359. And he's a, he's a big boy. You see him out there and you're like, that kid's like 17 is the series. <laughs> it's like, yeah. where, 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 I want to see your parents see like what type of breeding they have there. Cause my goodness, it's a big guy. And those are the <laughs> hardest guys to find. And those mm-hmm. are the guys that Alabama Clemson Ohio state have, have been able to find year in and year out in recruiting. And now Texas is in that mix because Tavondre Sweat is a guy whose stock is rising. And I wrote about Sweat in the Insider 
um, you know, recently. He's a guy who got frustrated with all the defensive changes. He had that shoulder injury that caused him to miss spring right when Sark and that staff took over. He was frustrated, didn't play as well as he could have in in 21, but really started to come on last year in his second year with Bo Davis. And now, you know, the, the word is he's ready to play at an all-conference type level. Well, no, no better time than, than the present because um, he's got the body, he's got the, the uh, NFL frame, and, and he's a guy who, you know, the players will, will listen to. So um, I, I think that's a he's, – he's one of the most important players on this team this year is Tavondre Sweat, in my opinion, because he's that guy you can't move and, mm-hmm. and should be able to collapse pockets like Keandre Coburn did last year. So um, he's, a, he's a guy you've got to watch and, and have high hopes for. Yeah, and three different defensive coordinators in three years is absurd. I mean, I don't think that is talked probably enough about. I mean, that, you know, when you see the improvement on the Texas defense last year and the consistency of the staff is huge. I mean, you can't overlook it. And having three different coordinators, I don't, and, you know, I don't even care if they run the exact style of defense. It's still different. You still have to get used to, you know, a different voice, different Uh, A lot of things are different when coaches come in and coordinators come in, especially uh, not just the scheme specifically. But, um, yeah, he was a guy, you know, Sark hasn't really um, hidden the fact that it was hard for him to be on his third defensive coordinator in three years and, you know, a new position coach, too. But him, I agree with you, the more he comes on, the better it is for Texas, because Tavondre Sweat's been a guy that I remember the first um fall camp practice that he was at as a true freshman or before his true freshman season it was when they were at the the intramural fields uh, when tom herman was the head coach i was just like gosh that is a massive person and it was a true freshman at the time he's only gotten bigger stronger faster i mean this guy has a lot of upside as as you said chip and um can be the one that can step in and and really take over for keandre coburn um and the production that texas lost with him going to the nfl he can make himself a lot of money this year because Mm -hmm. those defensive tackles um man they're hard they're hard to find everyone you know you look at Jalen Carter from Georgia and you know he's a top five pick it's because he can he can do it all he can stop the run he can rush the passer he he can split double teams and that's that's what it takes to make the big money and and T Sweat has that ability so um you know big year for him Big year for him. Uh, I love this from our man, Frank uh, DeCluet. Love it or leave it. Does Sorrell get nine and a half sacks? You know, he needs he needs to be at 10 sacks. Um, you know, I was talking to my man, Sam Acho, about this. People forget Sam had 10 sacks in his last year uh, with the Longhorns. And I think Sorrell's ready. I think he had five and a half last year. Um, I think, I think he's ready to turn it loose this year. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to love this. I think he he finishes with 10, uh, 23. That would be good. Yeah. You're right. He led the team in sacks last year with five and a half. Um, you, you hope to see that, right? I mean, 
uh, you want to see that progression year in and year out from guys that are, you know, young, raw talent as they start developing and maturing. And that would be big. I can't remember. When was the last time Texas had uh, someone on defense with 10 sacks? Yeah, it's been too long. And that's yeah. that's unfortunate. Um, you know, I, I look at um, I look at Baron Sorrell uh, and and then, you know, I keep hearing about Anthony Hill, that he's a guy you can put, you know, as a rusher off the edge, like what they did with DeMar being overshown. And that this guy has natural lean and has always had a knack for knocking the ball out of the quarterback's hands that he doesn't just go for the sack. He, he makes sure to swat at the ball while he's wrapping the quarterback and Anthony Hill's got a big learning curve as a freshman, but he's a talented dude and his motor does not stop. So if I had to pick a guy who could maybe wiggle in there in the, in the sack department, maybe grab five sacks, Anthony Hill freshman. Yeah. Watch Interesting. out. Yeah. And, and yes, Raymond Smith, um, you know, Hill and the Hawaii freshman, Leonga Lafau. I'm hearing great things about Leonga Lafau, that this guy, great instincts, loves football, just eats, drinks, and sleeps it, the preparation. I think Texas is going to be okay um, at that middle linebacker position because you've got Leonga Lafau who can play the middle. You've got Anthony Hill who can play the middle. Obviously, they can also you know, play the weak side, strong side, um, you know, he'll probably a little better on the strong side, but I, I think they've hit some gold in this linebacker recruiting class, you know, Darian Gallette's been banged up, so he's not um, going full, full speed. And then, you know, they get um, uh, uh, Samajay Burrell in, mm-hmm. uh, in the summer. But from what they've seen from Hill and Leonga Lafau, they feel like they got a couple players right there. Yeah, and that's and- that's big news because we've talked about how that linebacker position has been a bit of a mystery at times. Yeah, and the fact that those two are on campus, you know, or as early enrollees is big too. Um, and Raymond did say was a Minahue maybe the last with ten sacks. He had nine and a half. So he's the closest to it, nine and a half in the 2018 season. So it's been a while since Texas has had a guy, you know, approach that 10 sack number in a season. Yeah. Yeah. And they need it. They need it. They used to have a bunch of them. Yeah. Um, you know, Sergio Kindle, Sam Acho. Uh, they need to, they need to have those guys ready and, and, you know, crawling over each other to, to get there. And I think, you know, Alfred Collins, you know, he's a guy who can certainly do it. Mm-hmm. We just got to see him just rip people apart and just know that all this training, all this work he's put in, he's ready. Um, and, and to just, you know, go forward and conquer because uh, he could be a breakout guy this year with that, that body six, five, you know, three Oh five long arms. Um, that's, that's what the NFL Likes, you know, there was a guy named Tyus Bowser at Houston who sort of came on in his final year at Houston and went way over double digit sacks and ended up being a, you know, first day pick in the NFL draft. I mean, that's the kind of 
you could see something like that for Alfred Collins if he just, you know, keeps that light bulb on and doesn't get frustrated. Just, you know, put blinders on and go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've been waiting for that ever since that breakout performance in the Alamo Bowl. We've been waiting for it to continue and it hasn't yet. And and I think with this roster chip, you know, this is this is where you can get overlooked too if you, if it doesn't turn on um with the way that Texas is recruiting um at defensive line especially but yeah i mean this is i'm waiting for it i've wanted to see it since that alamo bowl game um and now is definitely the time i think for him and and you're going to rotate guys at that position mm-hmm. you just are the, you know yeah. the big guys are good six plays at a time then get them out get them a rest bring in the next you know, set of tackles and, and Texas has been aggressive in rotating guys and Alfred Collins has played. He just hasn't made that impact. And, you know, when you're a top level player, um, you know, you, you can come in, you know, the down and distance, you know, the call, if you've been paying attention during the game, you know, what the offensive line tendencies are, you go in with your plan and you go. And, and that's where, you know, Alfred Collins had to wait his turn because he's been behind Moro Ojimo. He's been behind, you know, Byron Murphy and, and even Vernon Broughton. And, and now it's time. So um, you'd hate to see Alfred Collins go through his time at Texas and not be an impact guy uh, with, you know, the production that he had coming out of high school, that frame. And he got caught up in the coaching changes too. He got frustrated. I mean, it was the same thing for him with Tavondre Sweat, you know, with all the changes on the, on the defensive side, the defensive line, but now, um, now it's time. Yeah, for sure. And it's been 10 years, Chip, since Texas has had uh, 10 sacks. And that was actually 2013. They had two guys that hit the, 10 or more. It was uh, Jackson Jeffcoat had 13 and then Cedric Reed has had 10. So it's time again. Come on. <laughs> 10 years. 10 years. Man, Man. we're getting old. Like I, I covered Texas back then. Yeah. Jackson Jeffcoat <laughs> just, you know, he's like getting ready to retire from the Canadian Football League. <laughs> um, Yeah. Some interesting comments over here. You know, I think uh, talking about, um, you know, Jamon Tapp. Tapp is is a guy who has got a lot of ability. Uh, he's got to show he can set the edge. And that's that's where, you know, everyone gets kind of seduced by the pass rushing ability. But can they set the edge? Can they, you know, get rid of a, a offensive tackle or get upfield of an offensive tackle to make sure that a run gets forced back inside? Because if you can't set the edge – you're never going to get a chance to rush the passer. They're just going to run the football right by you. And that's, uh, you know, that's where uh, I think they, they want, they have to have someone who can set the edge in the run and rush the passer. So, yeah. Um, well, Taylor, I think this has been, uh, this has been a great hour of, uh, of interaction with our, with our listeners and uh, you see any, um, let's see if there's one more nugget. There's a question about the first scrimmage. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the scrimmage situation is going to be. Texas is off 
this week for spring break. They will return, and then they'll have, I believe, four more weeks of practices. But I think there's only three per week, and then the spring game. Do you know when the first scrimmage is? Well, the the spring is different from fall camp. Mm-hmm. When you know in fall camp, the scrimmages are every every Saturday. week. The first yeah. three, you know, Saturdays of fall camp. In spring, it's it's different and. You know, someone asked in here about Jalen Catalan. Is he practicing? He's practicing, but he's got a green jersey. They're being careful with him. They don't want to have anything happen to where he's, you know, out to injury um, before the season. Now, they know he can tackle. They know what he's about. They're trying to make sure that his his shoulders is strong and 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 healthy as possible so that when you get to the fall, he's ready to to go. And it, and at that point he, he would definitely take part in the live contact, um, you know, parts of practice, but they're not gonna, they're not going to risk injury with him uh, in the spring. That's for sure. And, and they love his leadership and they, they know what he can do. They, everyone's seen his film. He was an all sec freshman at Arkansas. So um, he, yes, he's at practice, but he's, he's not participating in the contact portion of practice um, we'll see if that changes. I mean, obviously if the medical team feels like he's, he's up for it and everything's great and they want to take it for a test drive. Great. But I doubt we'll see a lot of contact. Um, you know, we'll, everyone will get to see for themselves on April 15th in the, in the orange white game, if he's a full participant in that, um, in that game or not. But, um, I'm excited about what, Jalen Catalan can bring to this defense as well. Yeah. Um, Taylor, good stuff. We appreciate everybody for uh, tuning in to this live episode. It's becoming a, a regular on, on Mondays to do the live flagship podcast. Take your questions, uh, be interactive. Uh, lots going on, obviously, with uh, the men and women in the NCAA tournament, uh, with spring football resuming after this week. So make sure you're over at horns247.com and make sure you're subscribed to the Horns 27 YouTube channel. Just uh, hit that subscribe button right there on your screen. And uh, for Taylor Estes, I'm Chip Brown. Until next time, we'll see you over at horns247.com. Until then, stay safe and keep the faith.